Well, good morning. We are, uh, as Jonathan said, we're running old school today. <laughs> but we can be new school if you have the Summers Avenue app on your phone or if you want to go on your electronic device to summersavenue.org, our website. You can scroll down and you can click on Sermon Notes and you can see the slides uh, that we would be showing today. So you can follow along and take your own notes uh, along with the sermon today. So it is summer break in our house, and some of you have kids, some of you have grandkids who are pushing through one more week. And so this time of the year, we plan vacations, and we plan staycations, and we plan medication, I guess, to get us through the next uh, few months, depending on uh, how many kids you have in your household. But some of us are like, I wish I had a summer break. All y'all talking about going places and days off and you know what time am I going to get up tomorrow? I wish I had a summer break. I'll just be over here doing, well, I don't know, work. And so some of us kind of feel that way, I guess, this time of the year. And we get annoyed at these flaunters flaunting around with their late night bedtimes and they're, hey, you want to go to a late movie because I don't have to be up early tomorrow. And it's like we complain about this grind that we live in, this day-to-day, sometimes monotonous, sometimes feels like it's burdensome, this repetitive labor which wears you down like a grindstone, you know, grinding on a metal blade or crushing grain. And so we just live in this grind each day. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is speaking here, writing to the Christians around Corinth. And we're going to begin here in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you, that you received, and on which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures." And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them who are are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as though one to one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me also. For I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I work harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. And so I read these words from the Apostle Paul, and if I'm being honest with you, I I was in a mood and I got a little annoyed by it. And so bear with me. I'm pretty sure Paul wasn't worried about annoying me when he was writing uh, this, this message to the church at Corinth. He's trying to get them to live out what God has invested In them, and isn't that the challenge of life? For us to live out what God has put in. And so, uh, I did not say live up to. And we can get those confused. We're not living up to. We are living out. We are fulfilling. And what makes us difficult to do is the grind. Just the day to day. And the message of God is such a peaceful and it's a hopeful message when we come together like this. That's why we, we should look forward to, and I believe we do look forward to being together in assembly because we are reminded of the peaceful, hopeful message of God. And I wonder though, how different my preaching would be if I could follow you this week to your job, or I could follow you around town on your errands, and I could see the people that you have to deal with on a day to day basis. 
I know those people. And I'm aware the Gospel of Jesus must be lived out, not in the confines of a church building, but in the grind of everyday life. That's what we're called to do. And life is a grind. Because marriage is a grind. I love you, Tressa. Bear with me. And I have a point that in no way diminishes the perfection of my wife. So just walk with me through this. But everyone should have to go back about three or four years after their wedding ceremony and rewrite their vows, right? Because when we say our vows at the, at the marriage, they're this big, broad, grand dreams, you know, for in, in sickness and in health and in and, and prosperity and in poorness, you know, until death do we part. But everyone should have to go back and renew those vows because there's a lot of stuff that's in between life and death. And it's called the grind. And so you might think that people quit their jobs because of some big, horrible event. Things happen or they give up on themselves because of some catastrophic events. We hear about folks who, hey, I just quit my job. I've got to move on and do something else. No, it's the grind. That's what gets to us. And this happens in the church too. Because we can tend to hide the grind in here. We can hide that. And so you ask, ask these people who were always covering for someone else who volunteered to serve, but who doesn't show up. You ask that person who covers for them what the grind is. We understand what the grind is. And how inspiring can the introduction to this sermon be, right? So, But the truth is, after you go Facebook Live with your gender reveal party, and after you've picked out the baby names, and after you've thrown this, this wonderful, marvelous showering of gifts, here comes the grind, right? The grind of diapers, the grind of long nights, the grind of... Red eyes and Red Bull. <laughs> and so, but the good news is, the good news is, if you make it through the infant stage, the grind stops. And so then you're raising children and it's easy. There's no more grind, right? <laughs> no. Our house is a house of honesty. And that's how we have, have, have made it. It's a safe place and, and we, we are honest in our house. And so kids, I want to be honest with you today. You are a grind. <laughs> okay? I love you. But you are a grind. And I am not ungrateful for what God has given me. That's not why I get a bad attitude at times. And sometimes I don't want to show up to my responsibilities. Yeah, there are people who'd love to have your life, though. There are people who'd love to have your job. You heard this before? When you just feel like complaining a little bit, somebody say that. Well, boy, I know people love to be in your place. And your friends will say, well, you could be incapacitated at the hospital. There's people up there who would love to go to work for you on Monday. Well, yes, but I, they're not going to work for me on Monday. I am, and it feels like a grind to me. And so Paul is talking to a church who would be familiar with the grind of life. Corinth is a big city. It's a major city. And so they knew very well what an urban city feels like and the complications that come up with living in such a populace, the complications of getting around. They knew what it was like to have a traffic jam and just the grind of trying to worship Christ and serving Christ in a culture that's counter-Christian can be a grind. And so Paul reminds them of the importance of the Gospel. And he's not reminding them of the information the Gospel contains, but the importance of the gospel because the grind can make you forget what's really important. And so you know this because you start giving your highest energy to your lowest priority and we get caught up in that. And so Paul reminds them in verse 1 in his own way when he says, I want to make clear for you this gospel that I preach to you, that the one that you receive, the one on which you stand. He says in verse 3, for I passed it on to you 
as of first importance what I also received. I'm giving you what I have already received. And so I, I get that. I'm, I'm, I'm with him on that. And when he says in verse 2, this by which you are being saved, this gospel, unless you believed in vain. And I understand how sometimes I don't walk in God's grace. And when I don't walk in God's grace, what good is it? I get that. I understand that. I understand how he might have been specific when he was saying that what he was preaching was only what he had already received. Nothing that he had made up. It didn't originate with Paul. Because a lot of people probably worship Paul to some degree, and he even mentions that in chapter 3. He kind of addresses that a little bit. And so some saw him as an indispensable gift to the body of Christ. And Paul makes it clear over and over again that all he's doing is re-gifting what God has already given him. And so I understand how he referred to himself as the last one in this apostle group, this OG apostle group. You know, he's coming in last through this blinding light on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute Christians nonetheless. And God clotheslines him off of his high horse. And then Paul comes to this part of the letter, verse 9. He says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And so I, I don't know if I'm buying this or not. Stay with me here. So his very name, Paul's very name is synonymous with apostle, right? It's such that I could say, if you're doing, if you're doing Bible trivia, and you would say, uh, fill in the blank, the apostle, I'm sure the first one you would think of would probably be Paul. Certainly that would win the, the, the top uh, survey says, you know, if we were doing uh, some game show. You wouldn't say Bartholomew. <laughs> I dare you to tell me you would say Bartholomew first. He was an apostle, but he's not the first one that comes to our mind. And I could understand it better if this was Paul's rookie year. If he says this, and this was his rookie year, but, but if he'd been just been chasing down and consenting to these killing of Christians, and now he's kind of coming around, but he's been in this game now when he writes this letter for about 30 years. Paul's been doing this, planting churches all over the Roman Empire, going where Peter didn't even dare to go. In fact, Peter struggled with prejudice that only seemed to show up when Peter was around people who thought like Peter. You remember this? Paul even confronted him about that. Galatians 2, if you want to refresh on that. So it seems that Paul was not that way though. Paul didn't talk one way around the apostles and another way when it was just his friends. No, he was focused and determined on taking the gospel to all people. So he says, I know know I've been at this a long time and I'm a legend, but I don't feel like what you think I am. I don't feel that way, like I deserve this title. And so he's doing this job, he's filling this position, but to be honest, sometimes it seems like he feels more like the boy than the dad, more like the child than the the, the father in Christ. And so he struggles with this. It's the difference between the title others give us and the title that we assign to ourselves sometimes. And so Paul knew this truth about himself that always caused him to feel just a little unworthy of his title. And look in verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so Paul says, It's by the grace of God that I am who I am. And Paul knows he's smart. He knows where he has come from. He knows how he has excelled through the school of the Pharisees. How he was taught at the feet of, of Gamaliel, this, this, this Jedi Jewish spiritual teacher here that, that, that brought him up the best of the best. 
that Paul has trained under. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul knows his status in the world. He knows this. But then he does this thing that's kind of half humbling and half bragging maybe a little bit. It would sound that way if I was saying it. Look in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So it's like, well, which one was it, Paul? I I worked harder than all of them. I took the Gospel where none of them would go. I had shipwrecks. I, I, I was lashed. I had accusations. I was living in my grind. But it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was all God. We do that sometimes, don't we? So what was it? Was it your grind or was it God's grace? And in fact... Do they have to be separate? Can we find God's grace in the grind? James writes in James chapter 2 and verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. And so Paul says, I've, I've got grace, but I've also got this grind I'm living in, and they're not separate. They're not opposed to one another. And Paul doesn't speak of grace that just finds you and grace that just covers you. This beautiful, marvelous picture of grace. Paul speaks of grace that changes you. It changes us. And he reminds us that when you've been where he's been and you've done what he's done and God picks you up off a dirty Damascus road and gives you a mission and forgives your sins and sets your feet on a rock, when you get that kind of grace, you cannot stay where you are. You must be changed by it. So you walk into your calling determined and committed to be who God has called you to be and what He has called you to do. And so he says, I am what I am because of His grace. And I will not stay what I was. Because grace will make you praise Him. And grace will make you persevere in life. And grace will make you get up and go again. And grace will make you change your ways. And grace will make you say, I'm sorry. So, have you made it by the grace of God? So Paul says there's two ways to look at this. He says, I'm, I'm on this grind and I'm serving God more than all these others. And the reason I'm serving God more than all of them is because I needed His grace more than all of them. Because when I know I don't deserve what God has given me, no one has to compel me to serve God. And I know every breath is a gift of God. Every step is a grace of God. And I'm not in the grind to get God's favor. I'm living in the grind because I already have God's favor. That's what allows me to endure the day after day after day. So Paul outworked all of them because of what he knew about himself. And he says in verse 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I work harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. And so this measure of grace that's given to Paul was different than that given to Peter or Matthew or even John. They were all given this measure of grace they needed for the place that God had assigned them to be. And God doesn't just give His grace to save us. He gives a particular grace for our particular grind. You remember in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, we read there that, "...but to each one of us grace was given..." according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And so He gives His grace to the Christian business owner to live out His calling in their business. He gives grace to the medical professional 
God gives grace to the stay-at-home mom. He gives grace to the retired government worker. He gives grace to the, the unemployed laborer. He gives grace to the middle manager. He gives grace to the teacher. If that's your place, then God will give you His grace so that the kingdom of God might grow through you in that place where you find yourself. Paul says it's His grace to me. In verse 3, he says, For I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received. He passed on what he had received. So the grace that God gave me, he says, I re-gifted it to you. And we fail when we try to pass on to others what God did not give to us. Because we can live in our grind when we live by His grace. I want you to try something this week. Try something this week. Take the grind of your week, the situation of your week, That's the grind. And in your mindset, see it as a gift. See it as a gift. And take that situation this week that you find yourself in, that you've been asking God to take away, and see it as a gift. And that's a challenge. But that's how we grow. We've got to reframe, reshape our mind, our thinking, our vision on life so that we can see God's grace in the everyday, the mundane. And even see God's grace in the profane of life as we endure and we stand firm in the calling on which we've been called. And when that person comes your way who tries your very being to the core of your existence, see them as a gift. It's God's gift. In your mind, see them as a gift. That person you have to deal with that you really can't make go away. Put a little bow on them, you know. Wrap them up. Not too tight. Wrap them up. See it as a gift. It's God working through them to form you into the person He wants you to be in that situation. So thank you, annoying person. Thank you, traffic jam that has me delayed another 20, 25, 30 minutes because now maybe I can listen to my audio Bible that I haven't been able to get to and so I can, I can put the Word of God into my heart while I'm in this situation. Thank you for you know the, the waiting room that I've been sitting in this doctor's office for, seems like forever, waiting for them to call my name. Thank you that I can, I can take time to meditate and to pray and to count my blessings. What a gift. And thank you, unrealistic deadline, because I needed to be challenged to prove to myself that I can accomplish more than I think I can accomplish. See, we've got to rethink things. We've got to reframe things as a gift from God. And you know that person who doesn't like you? That person who God is using to show you that you cannot please everyone all the time? That person is a gift. They're a gift. It doesn't have to feel good to be good. Romans 8 and verse 28, we read, And we know that all things work together for good, For those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. doesn't say all things are good. Everything we're going to go through is not good. It says God will work together for good. For us who are called according to His purpose. So I'm looking for the gift and discouragement. I am. And how different will your work be? How different will your week be? How different will that season of life be? If you go through it with this bag of bows, (laughs) and you start seeing things as a gift from God. Not necessarily the gift you wanted, but an opportunity 
to grow and to be blessed and to be a blessing. Just looking for the grace of God, looking for the mercy of God, looking for the gift of God in every situation. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So my weakness is a gift. My struggle is a gift. And God could have dropped Paul to his knees before he ever consented to killing a Christian. Have you thought about that? God could have, could have converted Paul before he ever stood and watched a Christian die. But if he had done it too early, Paul would have valued it too little. See, it's the struggle of life that opens our eyes to the value of God's gift of grace. You know, the tabernacle, they took olives to make oil for the lamps that they kept burning before the Lord. And so what they would do, these olives had to be hand-pressed. Hand-pressed so there would be no pulp, so that there would be nothing that would occlude the burning of the fire and nothing would diminish the light. It would be the purest light that could come forth from this oil. And it seems that... Seems that's how, that's how God works in our lives. He hand presses us in, in the grind to remove anything in our life, whether it's an attitude, whether it's a, a thought, a relationship, pride. That's what the grind is for. And that's what God will use it for. Anything that will keep us from burning the light of our life, as bright as it can be, and as long as it can be for God. And Satan cannot stop God from extending His grace to us. So what Satan wants to do is stop us from using it. From accepting God's grace. That's what he works on. That's what he does. That's what he accomplishes. If you've been wasting God's grace, don't you realize how much it costs? And sometimes when you use something for so long, you kind of lose perspective on the value of it, right? And so, the church at Corinth had a lot of issues. Not only idolatry, not only some sexism, not only immorality. It was a church full of people walking around wishing they had other people's gifts. I wish God had graced me with that. I wish that was my gift. And when you wish you had what they have, you miss what God has given you. By the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. Which means I am not what I am not. And so people miss the grace of the season of the life they're in because they're waiting on the one is to come. We're always looking ahead. Always trying to get to the, the next appointment, the next station, the next corner. And we miss where we are and what God is doing right now in our lives. And perhaps it's because you don't feel worthy. Paul knew what he did. He knew who he was. He knew where he had been. But see, if I stay in my shame, I'm going to waste God's grace. The price it was paid for me to stand in the grace is too great for me to waste it. So the past is behind me. The cross is what's before me. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So are you done today? Are you done wishing you were someone else? Are you done looking around? Wishing you had someone else's life? Are you done wasting the grace that God has given you worrying about situations that you cannot control? Haven't you wasted enough time crying over stuff that's over and missing out on what 
is happening right now. Don't waste the grace of this day. See, it's the grind of life that invites us into the grace that we so desperately need. And all of this was possible because Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven and He came to this earth and He lived in the grind. The grind of human flesh. The grind of rejection. The grind of those He loved the most and were closest to Him turning their backs on Him. The grind of being called and considered a fool because He closed His mouth when they led Him to the slaughter. That's what Jesus Christ did for us so that we would realize that God never forsakes us in the grind of life. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. So today, what's what's got you wallowing around in the grind? Have you lost your focus? Have you lost your focus on the grace that God extends to you? You know, sin will do that to us. Sin will draw our focus into what's wrong. Not just what's wrong with the world, but what's wrong with us. And we start focusing on that. And we lose our focus on the fact that even while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. But today, God calls you to repent. Repent of that sin that you've been grinding in. Repenting of those thoughts that you've had that diminish what God has done for you. God calls you to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So that you can receive the gift of His Spirit, the promise of eternal life, and His grace to live in the grind. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you as we think about this invitation of God to walk with Him in Jesus Christ. And if we can pray with you and for you and encourage you in your decision to walk with Christ, will you do that and make that choice this morning as we stand and sing this song?